So the traditional, or the well-known, I should say, stories of Jesus' birth come from Matthew and Luke. They're the ones that you know, we read last night with, uh, with the shepherds and no room and, and uh, the, uh, the census under Caesar Augustus, as well, uh, and then in Matthew, you've got the wise men and Herod the Great trying to kill everybody like usual, that sort of thing. Uh, John also tells <clears throat> about the birth of Jesus. He tells the story of Jesus' birth, but he does it in his own way. And John is just kind of weird. He, he constructs his story of Jesus' life in a very different way from the others. He has uh, an entirely different agenda. And <clears throat> sometimes when we read John... We find ourselves, at least I do anyway, saying, I know there's something I'm supposed to get, but I don't get it. And I think in part it has to do with the fact that John is, um, he communicates with references, shall we say. And those references are... Um, maybe more to do with themes rather than direct quotes. Here's what, it, here's what, here's what I mean. If I were to say, or if, if we were trying to like talk um, and something was interrupting us or like we were trying to talk on the phone and we were cutting out, I could say, well, what we have here is a failure to communicate. Now, you know that quote, even if you don't know that movie. Or if somebody said, hey, Eric, just tell me the truth. And I said, you can't handle the truth. Again, even if you haven't seen that movie, you know what I'm talking about. Or if I say, the force be with you. And you say, and also with you. Wait, that's different. Um, <laughs> lift up our lightsaber. All right, anyway. Um, I'm going off the rails because I'm tired. Anyway, <clears throat> John is drawing from Israel's deep past, from the uh, right, he's drawing from Moses, he's drawing from the prophets in thematic and sort of tangential ways. He's not directly quoting things like Matthew does, but he's expecting his audience to get it. And 2,000 years later, it can be a bit of a challenge. So instead of talking about you know, Mary giving birth like a normal person, he instead goes back to Genesis and the creation of all things. And he describes, uh, and this was news to us, that as it turns out in a really hard to explain way, Jesus is like that, the word that creates the universe. Not that God said Jesus and it just appeared, but in some way Jesus is, is the, the creating force of what we would call God. Um, and and, and the, the business about light and darkness, and we're, we don't frankly have time to go into it, but he's again drawing on, um, on, on who Israel, as God's chosen people, was supposed to be. Uh, what God had intended when he called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees to found his own family again. There's one line, one verse that I want to hone in on 
that John is doing, um, or where John is doing some of this, and he's he's inserting themes that would have been immediately obvious to his first readers, um, and it's and, and he's actually being a little more heavy-handed in his quoting than usual, and it's John one fourteen. I I think that this is actually the most important verse in the Bible. It's not John 3.16, it's 1.14, because in it is the summation of the entire biblical narrative. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld its glory, glory as of the Father, full of grace and truth. So, the glory of the Lord. That phrase is... Um, I want to say it's a dog whistle, but that, that usually has a negative connotation. But it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a link to some of the most important things that God's people Israel was supposed to do. They, as God's chosen people, were to be the cultivators and hosts of the very presence of God. This is why Moses constructed the tabernacle, while why Solomon built the temple, while this, why the second temple was rebuilt after its destruction. That's how they would host the very presence of God. In Hebrew, chavod Adonai. Um, this is in some ways kind of that dangerous, frankly kind of scary, what I like to call face-melting presence of God as a reference to Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones. Um, which is a little bit of an embellishment, but it's not that far. That is the glory of God. And the glory of God was always intended to live with Israel. And they were to be a nation of priests to, to spread that light and that example of what it means to follow the one true creator God instead of doing the normal human thing, which is worship everything else other than God. We, as humans, will always be tempted to worship anything but the one true God. It's almost uncanny. Um, but then John says, we beheld this glory. That's dangerous business if you're not properly prepared. Except... That this glory, this dangerous, uh, but still quite good, very powerful glory, the, the presence of God that would come into the tabernacle and the first temple, curiously never the second temple, says this word became flesh and dwelt in our midst. Again, that word dwelt is another really important link. Again, and this is also why, once again, when you read John, you go, something, what's going on here? Because <laughs> you're throwing these words out and they feel important, but I can't tell. Uh, that dwell in, in Greek, uh, skenao or skenosen in, in its uh, conjugation, is the, is the word for tabernacle. It's the templing word. It's, it's the word that, is, that, that refers to the sacred space that would contain the very presence of God. And all of the very glory of God dwelt in flesh 
up until this point in all of history, the very glory of God was dangerous to flesh. Flesh, unless very carefully selected as a high priest and very carefully prepared through many rituals and sacrifice and preparation, this presence was dangerous and only under very, very specific circumstances could flesh actually behold the very presence of God. And now that very presence of God is in flesh. Because that very presence of God will go on to redeem flesh. Um, now, my meditation for us this morning is built off that. Because it would be, it, it's a very tall order, it's a big claim to say that the very presence of God is walking around in flesh. Um, for multiple reasons. If I were to tell you, I am the very presence of God, you would probably think, well, he's lost his mind. Um, fine, you really think that. Put your money where your mouth is. Show me. And of course, I would fail miserably because I'm, in a lot of ways, the opposite. So the question would be, for our meditation, is what would it actually look like if, if God were really here? If God had taken on flesh, as the story goes, in sending his son to be born of a woman and taking on that mantle and that story of Israel and Israel's past, to relive the story of humanity in all of its brokenness, Except where the stories of Israel, the stories of humanity, your stories, my stories, are stories often of failure and frustration. Jesus' stories are stories of victory and fulfillment. Surely, there would be some indication... that would separate the fact that Jesus is in fact that very glory, that, that manifest, tangible presence of God in flesh. You would expect if, if the very creator God is walking around in the flesh of a human, as human, fully human, that that same creating power would give life to everything he does. Well, that, that's exactly what he did. You would think that when he encountered the brokenness of humanity, he would bring healing. That's exactly what he did. You would think that when he engaged with the story of Israel, that he would bring victory and success where Israel failed miserably. Spoiler alert, that's why he goes into the desert after he's baptized. You would think that when he encounters the forces of death, that his life would trump that death. And that's exactly what happens. 
So maybe when we say that death couldn't even hold Jesus, that when all of sin and destruction and evil comes focusing in on Jesus, expending his life for the moment only to see that God raises him from the dead, maybe that's actually the most normal expected thing that could happen. But that's for later in the church here. For now, this morning, Merry Christmas. We celebrate the one who is the manifest, tangible, indwelt presence of God, the Chavod Adonai, the, 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 the tabernacling presence that was scary and powerful whose Israel, or for whom Israel was chosen to play host has now been born, will vanish from history for 30 years except for a brief moment when he's 12 and then change the entire course of human history to the point that he will redefine what it means to be human for those of us baptized into his death and resurrection. Amen.